Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, January 23, 2022. Today's message is part three in the series called Abiding in Jesus. Today's message, a day for real fruit. Uh, would you give a, a Louisiana welcome to... What is a Louisiana welcome like? Is it clapping? It's not really. <laughs> okay. Giving food. Yeah, <laughs> giving food. food. Yeah, deep fried food. That's right. Well, yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you for preaching. My blessing. Take it away. And it's such a such a blessing to see um, to see this in person. I've, I watch uh, sometimes uh, watch on Facebook, and I appreciate that. Uh, this is the world we live in because I get to uh, to see a lot of our churches around the world uh, worshiping, and uh, sometimes I don't understand the language, but there's a language that kind of goes beyond the language that, that I do understand. Uh, the language of worship and love and fellowship with one another. Uh, so yeah, we, you know, Gunnar and I were um, introduced to each other this past summer, and the Lord has just increased our relationship as we spent time together again uh, in COVID. We've also learned how to spend time together without being in the same country, and so he and I have been meeting uh, almost weekly and just talking about uh, something that's missing in the church. So, um, I, I was today. I was looking at the mountains, and which, by the way. I mean, you guys know this, but it's just devastating, right? To see the beauty that's around us, uh, man. Uh, and I was thinking this morning as I was looking at that mountain, I'm thinking, uh, you know, obviously I was convicted about how I take my own bayous and flatlands and, and uh, harvest fields for granted because I know they're beautiful when some other body, somebody else comes to my country and to my state, that's what they see. But I just, I was thinking this morning at how, uh, you know, I know statistically, I was told anyway that 6% maybe of, uh, or not 6%, that, that, uh, atheists in number in the, in the country of Iceland are like this, uh, sixth, uh, in per capita of any nation in the world, uh, in the number of, of atheists in this country. And I thought, man, how can you, how can you miss it? Uh, they, they got created this beautiful place, this incredible mountains, and, and you see it every day and you see the beauty around you and, and you miss the one that created it. And then I, and so I, I thought about that. I said, they missed, you know, they're missing the point. There may be actually people in this country, uh, who are, who like to climb mountains. So they're going to master the mountain that God created. They're going to be on the mountain. They're going to do everything you can do with a mountain. You know, they might compare notes with other mountain climbers and say, you know, how, how did you do? How far did you get? Or, or what did you see? And they may sh um, show each other pictures of the mountain when they're climbing and, and, uh, and feel proud that they did something. And yet the thing that God created the mountain for has been neglected. They missed it. They missed the point, right? They, they climbed the mountain. They compared notes with other people that are mountain climbers, but they missed the God of the mountain, the, the, the very purpose for which man was created is being missed by so many people in the world today. I mean, an increasing number of atheists and, 
uh, you know, and universalists and, and people who are explaining away the truth of God's word and the truth of who God is and who God created us to be in relationship with him uh, while we're looking at God's creation. And, and we're without excuse because we see it and we know that it's not us that created it. Man, we're working all around the mountains, but we're missing the God of the mountain. And then at the same time, I thought, you know, I did the same thing in my life, in my spiritual life. You know, we're talking today, I love the theme that came uh, when Daniel introduced, uh, you know, this idea this morning and, and Gunnar uh, increased that idea by looking at how things around us can cause us to, to miss, you know, the, 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 the fact that God is still in control and that God is at work and that even those things, those struggles and trials uh, can, can increase our knowledge of God if we walk with him through those. And I think also our religious activity, our, what we call spiritual in our lives can be also the blame of us uh, mastering something that, that God certainly created these activities, but, but we, we master those things and we never get to know the God of those things. It's ludicrous. It's as, it's, it's as ridiculous as it is for us to climb the mountain and miss the fact that we could not create that, that instead of us following the plan that God has for us to reveal so that he can reveal himself to us and also to the world around us, that is to produce the fruit of the glory of God in our lives and through our lives, to produce the fruit of God exclusive activity in the world so that the world can see us and know that God is doing it and it's not us. Instead of us producing that fruit, we're trying to produce some, some uh, copy of the fruit that's watered down and empty, but still blows our minds because we're comparing ourselves to others who are climbing the mountain, right? And don't know the God of the mountain. And, and I, I'm ashamed to say, but at the same time have to confess that after being in ministry for almost 40 years, I realized I missed the point. By the grace of God, I found myself in the midst of a lot of busy activity. I have a PhD from, a, from the seminary, a terminal degree. I went all the way and got all this knowledge and multiple diplomas to put on the wall and found myself with no knowledge of who God was other than what I had read. I, I had no knowledge of what it meant to be Christian other than what I was trying to duplicate in my own efforts from the things that I'd seen in other churches and even the things that I saw in scripture that God says, do this. Uh, or, or I see that the Christians are this and now I need to make myself that. And I try to pull myself into this, this Christian life and Christian activity. And I found myself dead on the inside. I was a national consultant in discipleship for a major evangelical denomination, teaching conferences on what it means to be a disciple. And I didn't know the God that I was talking about by experience through, through obedience. I didn't know him. I, I knew how to talk about him and I, I learned the phrases and I read the books. And so I was very active doing a lot of things and I, I didn't know God intimately, personally. I missed it. I was producing fruit, but it wasn't real fruit. 
you know, when Jesus describes where fruit comes from, it comes from him. He is the only one that can produce fruit. I love this morning, I, was, I noticed on one of your coffee cups, uh, Ephesians 3.21. What a great verse. It is, this is the fruit that a church produces. Listen to what it says. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. The glory of God, the character of God that he reveals in nature, that he reveals in our lives as we obey him, that is the fruit. That's the fruit that God wants us to, to, to eat of, to produce, to show in the world. And that's fruit that we can't create. So today I want us to talk about that because we, we're missing, I think churches today are missing it as well. I think we're missing the point. Jesus said this in John 15, four to five, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus told us to abide in him and he would produce fruit. Notice what he says there. He he told us that if we abide in him, he would produce fruit. We apparently thought that he said that we're supposed to produce fruit. Now we talk about fruit all the time. We talk about what is it, you know, all the different fruits that we should be producing. Matter of fact, if, if, if you, we judge ourselves in comparison to others based on the wrong questions. We're asking people to look at fruit, look at fruit, focus on fruit. This is what the fruit looks like. Be the fruit, right? Be the fruit. Make yourself look like a Christian. And, and we focus so much on the fruit, but Jesus didn't tell us to produce fruit. Did you know that? I, I somehow missed that in all my years of study and in all of my years of the Christian life and living it. I came across this literally, uh, maybe I'd say literally, I started to say literally, this book is, it was, it was eight years ago. I came across this text when I was preaching through the book of John and all of a sudden God by his spirit showed me the truth. And I want you to see it with me. Y'all, y'all ready? Listen to what it says. He says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. You're a branch. You're a branch. You're not the, you're not the one that makes the fruit. All a branch does is, is bear the fruit. We just, we just hold the fruit. Can you imagine a branch disconnecting from a tree and going to whatever store you guys have here that would be equal to a Walmart uh, or a dollar store and goes to the dollar store and says, hey, do you guys have any, any uh, plastic fruit? Uh, and he, and you per, he peruses the branch, peruses the, the, the uh, different uh, shelves and finds the best looking fruit, plastic fruit, and takes some tape and adheres the, the fruit to himself and goes back to the tree and is proud that he's, he looks good, right? Nobody, whoever gets close to that fruit, and certainly nobody that takes a, a bite out of that fruit is going to say that's good fruit or that it's even fruit. It's plastic. It's ridiculous for us to think that if we just look like fruit, if we can just make ourselves look like a Christian, and if somebody, and as preachers, we're the worst, 
at trying to persuade people to make their lives look like fruit. Why are you not more joyful? Why are you not doing all these things that you should be doing? Why are you not living the life? You know, are you accountable? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you going to church? Are you serving in some way? That's what fruit looks like. And then as pastors, for so long in my life, I found myself reading this passage and finding that what I was doing was describing what fruit looked like so that with the intention that I would motivate the people in our congregation to go and put some on. Go to the store and get some plastic fruit, put it on. You need to start looking like a Christian. You're misrepresenting God and us. And they were, but for not for the reasons I thought. Listen, I know this is a problem in the world. I talk about this in my book, but listen, listen to the questions that we ask to evaluate our Christianity. How many? How many did your church have in worship this week? How many people has your church baptized this year? How many have you, have you had to share the gospel? How many people came to your church program? How many trips, sermons, small groups, podcasts, prayers, books? How much money, time, effort? Who do you listen to? What podcasts have been stretching your thinking lately? Which authors do you follow? What do you think about this musician or that song? What kind of preacher do you have? Does he unpack things well? Does he follow the right trends? Is he connected to the right networks? Is he gospel-centered, gospel-motivated, gospel-saturated, gospel-captivated, gospel-activated? Who do you listen to? Where have you been? Have you made a trip to Haiti to help with the relief efforts? Have you been to Uganda to minister to the orphans? Have you gone to any country to dig a water well? What have you done to help the refugees, widows, orphans, the abandoned, the homeless around the world? Are you buying coffee from some developing country? Do you have plans to make an extreme trip to the 1040 window to share the gospel? Where have you been? What kind are you? Are you Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Catholic? Are you Arminian, Calvinist, Reformed? Are you traditional, contemporary, formal, casual, seeker-focused, believer-focused? Do you have Sunday school, life groups, support groups, family groups, children's worship, youth worship, family worship? What kind are you? Where do you stand? Do you attend the, did you attend the pro-life rally and walk across the bridge? Do you hold a picket sign to let the LGBTQ community know where you, you fall? Are you going to the Capitol to make sure the Ten Commandments are on the courthouse wall? Are you marching, fighting, holding on, sitting in, standing against, rallying for? Where do you stand? You know, these are all these questions and others like them are questions that I've asked through the years to measure my own spiritual fruit, measure whether I am producing or not. And I've been pressed into acting like I believe all these things and like these things are coming from my heart. And in reality, they're coming from a fear of pleasing men and looking right before God. And it's not real fruit, it's plastic fruit. But they serve as a plumb line for the successful Christian life. These are, these are the questions that we use to check spirituality. And I think they're evidence that all of us have missed the point. 
we think that producing plastic fruit is good enough. And it's, it wearies us. It's so difficult for us to strive and work so hard to try and be something that's not in us to be. It's not in our hearts to be. We've not done the thing we need to do for it to come out of us in a natural, in an organic way. See, abiding is in the vine is an organic process. It starts with the vine. And the vine produces the fruit in us and through us. And Jesus said to the disciples, you must abide in me. He didn't say produce fruit. Quit focusing on the fruit. If you abide in me, then fruit happens. Fruit is the natural result of abiding in Christ. A.W. Tozer said, in our time, we have all kinds of status symbols in the Christian church, membership, attendance, pastoral staff, missionary offerings, but there's only one status that should make a Christian congregation genuinely glad. And that's to know that our Lord is present and walking in our midst. That God is revealing himself through our lives. That as you, as you shared here in, in your testimony on this coffee cup, <laughs> that God's glory is being seen in the church in Christ Jesus. Not, not what you can do or what you can produce and not something that wearies you in producing it yourself, but something that comes as you rest in Christ. As you come to him, <laughs> heavy laden, right? and find him giving you rest by just enjoying the Lord and allowing his fruit to be produced in your life. We've missed the point. We've, we spent our lives focusing on producing fruit and in our attempts to produce fruit, we've, we've disobeyed the command of Christ in John 15. Jesus commanded his disciples to abide in him, attempting to live a life by a list of standards and measuring people based on their accomplishments of those standards. Though it's prevalent in churches, it's like a branch of a tree purchasing fruit, plastic fruit and taping it on so it can look productive. When Jesus walked on the earth, he redefined religion. And the same thing happened when Jesus showed up. The church was in the same place. They were very religious and they were very active and they were measured by the number of things that they did that were fruit that would be produced if they would abide in God, but they weren't abiding. They were just working, working, working. It was no longer acting according to the list when Jesus came, but living a life in relationship with the originator of right behavior. The disciples had that opportunity. They lived with him. They learned from him. The old views that had been misinterpreted were and that were wrong were changed as they watched Jesus live his life, as they walked with Jesus in life and saw what he did. Their religion was changed. He Eating with tax collectors, staying in the home of a former prostitute, questioning the religious leaders, healing on the Sabbath, standing in defense of a woman caught in the act of adultery were all practices that were contrary to the religious plumb line of Jesus' day. More significant than that, just having right behavior to find, these disciples, as they saw Jesus perform his life under the authority of his father, they discovered the truth about God's character and person. They came to know God for who he really was in each encounter that they had with Christ. 
their view of God changed dramatically because they walked with Jesus. Can you imagine the disciples' response when they realized that God came, for instance, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved? Very different than the religion of their day. As they walk with Jesus, they discover that God eats with sinners, that God touches the unclean, that God heals sick people, that he receives common men as his best friends. All these truths about the character of God were hidden when life was defined by the list. Jesus said, if we abide in him, we can produce much fruit. So my goal today is not to ask you to put on more plastic fruit, but it's very simply to motivate you to abide in him. It's been a little time this morning that I hope you can stay focused. If you will say, oh yeah, that's Cajun, all right? That you stay focused enough today, sit up in your spirit and ask the spirit of God to teach you, to motivate you, to draw you in to understanding more about what it means to abide so that we can produce lasting fruit, real fruit. Today is a day for real fruit. The world desperately needs to see real fruit. How's the world responded to fake fruit? I'll tell you how they've responded. They know that we have nothing to offer. They have, we have nothing but more activity to offer them and they're tired already. And for the first time in the history of the church, millennials, starting with millennials and Gen Z's included, are disconnecting from the church. We're no longer inheriting our children anymore. And the reason is because they don't want what we have because our fruit's not real. Our fruit is the result of our efforts and our hard work and our uh, somebody getting, uh, condemning us and judging us and pushing us to do something and lying to us about God's approval to say that God's not approving of us if we don't do the things that he told us to do. Not that we've received the righteousness of Christ and that God sees us as perfect and loves us on because we're in him. We have to do something in order for God to be happy with us. John 15, five, look at it again. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus didn't tell us to bear fruit. He said, abide in him. Now I found myself in the moment that I read that verse in that context, And with that understanding, what I found was that I didn't know the thing. I didn't know what it meant to abide. I knew what fruit was because I'd heard preaching on fruit all of my life, but I had no idea what it meant to abide. And that's the only thing that Jesus told us to do. So what does it mean to abide? That's such a subjective term. If I asked everybody in here what it meant, we would have a lot of different things that we would think it meant. The word means, by the way, uh, remain. If you translate it, it means to remain, but even that, what does it mean to remain? It means something different we found out in uh, Icelandic than it does in in English. It has a different different feel to it. So how do we know what it means to abide? Because we need to know what it means to abide. If the glory of God is going to be seen in his church, that fruit of the glory of God is going to be seen in the world and God's going to be able to attract the lost world to himself, which by the way, he is very attractive. (laughs) When the world gets to see him, they will be drawn to him. Those that will come to him are going to come when they see God for who he is. 
But if that's going to happen, we need to know what it means to abide. That's all we can do. So we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about what it means to abide. And John, also in chapter 15, he goes on in verses 7 through 10 to begin to describe what it means. So John defines abiding for us. He, it means to remain, but what does he mean when he says remain in Christ? Remain what? Look at it in verse 7 through 10. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So prove yourself to be my disciples. As the father have loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you, look at it with me, keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So when he says that we need to remain in him, what he means is we need to remain moment by moment obedient to the commandments of God. The specific moment by moment instructions that God gives us on how to live our lives in every situation is how God will reveal himself to the world around us. In the craziest things, God will reveal himself as we obey what he says as we apply the commandments of God to specific situations in our life. So I love the prayers that we've heard this morning about God, help us to obey you. Help us to walk in you in your ways because knowing God's ways is not enough. Seeing what the scripture describes and trying to be that by our own efforts is not enough. It can't happen. We just need to obey God in the moment, every moment of our life. How do we apply truth to what we're, what's happening in a situation with a friend, in a relationship problem? How do we apply truth to how we spend our money, to what job do we take, to what, what future do we choose as a, as a student uh, for a career choice? All of those things. John tells us is his words abiding in us. That is, his words are finding their way into our actions. We're abiding in his word and his word abides in us. Look at 1 John. 324, he says the same thing. By the way, multiple references in John's gospel and John's epistles. And he's the only one that uses this word. So he's the best to define it. First John 324, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know as, as believers after the cross and resurrection of Christ, by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So abiding is simple. <laughs> it's not complicated. Abiding is doing what God says. Abiding is surrender to constant obedience to the commands of Jesus in scripture as applied moment by moment in life by the Holy Spirit. Like we need to know the word of God. But we don't just need to know the word of God because it's trendy. We don't need to know the word of God and study the word of God because people around the world who are, uh, who are in the new young uh, reformed trend are studying the word of God. We need to study the word of God because we need to know how to apply it. And the spirit will take the word of God and give us application in every moment of life. And when that happens, fruit will be produced. Now, how much has Satan lied to us? How has Satan blinded our eyes that we've missed this point? Don't think that we missed it. 
the testimony of every preacher friend that I have is that they preach the word with passion and with their hearts as hard as they can. And just, they try to give the word to the people in a way that they will understand and apply it. And people are listening and they are talking about it. They're describing the experience and the words, that the new words that they understand from the Greek and Hebrew texts. And they're, they're understanding it better because of the application and the context of the, of the book that they're studying. And they're doing all the right things. They're getting the word of God out there and they're not applying. They're not living the word. They're not doing what the word of God says in the moments of their life. And the result is that they, they are applauding each other for climbing the mountain and none of them have even come to know God through obedience. See, ultimately, God wants to produce fruit in our life. And the fruit that he wants to produce is he wants to show himself to us and to the world around us. He's always done it that way. You will all get a copy if you desire to have one of the abiding cycle of the book. And what I did is I went all the way back to the Old Testament. I took some selections from the, from the uh, patriarchs, from the prophets, from the kings, uh, you know, and, and I gave descriptions in, in the New Testament uh, in Jesus and his relationship with the father and the, and the disciples in their relationship with Jesus and then the spirit and, and the, the church's relationship with the spirit and showed that this, when they were abiding in God or Jesus, are the Holy Spirit in their portion of, of, of Christendom, then God was revealing himself. God wants to show himself. He doesn't want the world to see us. He wants the world to see him. And so we get to, we, we get to obey him. And when we do, he produces his fruit. So this is what, what fruit is. He says, if you obey, you will produce much fruit. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So let me say, first of all, fruit is God-exclusive activity. When David threw his stone at Goliath, David was obeying God's leadership in his life. None of the, none of the warriors would fight. They saw a giant. And, and, the, and the faith that they had did, could not be applied because they had not been obeying God in anything difficult. They had never seen much of God's uh, work in their life. Now, God had given them victory, but it was because of Saul's obedience, not because of, of theirs. They were obedient to Saul and Saul ultimately gives up on obedience. But David had defeated a bear because God gave him power to do that. Now, a bear was getting one of God's sheep and, David said, God gave me power to defeat the bear with his bare hands. B-A-R-E. And he defeated a lion the same way. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's shouting defiance against the God of Israel? He never even saw a giant. He saw an uncircumcised Philistine speaking wrong things about his God. Everybody else in the army believed what he said, that his God was not big enough to give him victory. David knew better because he knew God by experience through obedience. So David steps out, gets what takes what he has, knowing it doesn't matter what he has. Goliath makes fun of it, thinking that's going to affect him, and it doesn't. He throws his stone. God 
makes the stone to throw true and drives that into the head of Goliath and falls a giant and defeats an army. God did that. That's God-exclusive activity. David wouldn't take credit for that. He knew better. David would never take credit for something like that. He knew who did that. It was God. And it was mind-blowing to him that the army of God didn't realize that. If they would just step forward, that God would take over. Same thing for us. The fruit of God, the first fruit of God is God-exclusive activity. Look at what he says in the context of this evening with the disciples when he's giving them this parable. By the way, in the close of his life, one of the most important teachings Jesus ever gave in the final moments of his time with his disciples on the earth uh, prior to his resurrection. John 14, 12 to 14, listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, he's not saying that we will do it in our own power. What's he saying? Look at it. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything of me in my name, I will do it. So God's exclusive activity is when we obey what God says and then we pray and ask God to do what only he can do through our lives. As we obey, God does it. And we see the glory of God. We see something that man could not produce. We see only the things that only God could do. I don't know if you guys have, how much you use YouTube here to repair things. One of the things I've learned is that, and I'm thankful for, tremendously thankful for, is that rather than paying somebody to do the things that I really can't afford to have them do, like fix my car and repair things in my home, I go to YouTube now and I do a search and I can pull up any lawnmower, any car, any motorcycle. It's it's incredible. Uh, Anything. I can just pull stuff up on YouTube and I can get an instructional video on how to fix something. Recently, I had a truck breakdown and uh, I went to, to uh, AutoZone and they have a free service where they'll check your truck to see what's wrong with it. And they put the computer on and said that my coils, coil packs, coil pack was bad. Didn't even know what a coil pack was. But I did some research on YouTube and I did a video and I replaced the coil packs myself. And I was very proud. I shouldn't have been though, right? Because I didn't do anything except everything that the YouTube video told me to do. So all the glory goes to who? Fred. Fred in his garage, who made this YouTube video for me and showed me step by step what tool to use, what parts to order, how to put it in, what to avoid as I was doing it so I wouldn't mess it up and have to do it again. All glory goes to Fred. And it's obvious. And everybody that knows me, when I said, hey, I fixed my truck this week and I replaced the coil packs, and they go like, no, you didn't. And I go, yeah, I did. I really did. You don't know anything about vehicles. And I said, no, but I got a YouTube video. All glory goes to Fred. It's pretty easy to understand, right? When you think about it, that if we just obey what God says, then God will produce his fruit through us and everybody will know that is not you. 
It's not you. There's no way that you can do this. And I'm not talking about big things only, like healing somebody or, you know, I mean, we, we tend to think of hum- humongous things and get, get infatuated with these, these demonstrative displays of God's power. I'm talking about causing you to love somebody whenever they hate, to bless somebody that curses you, to, like Jesus did, when a woman's caught in the act of adultery and is dragged before him and deserves by the law to be stoned to death, finds mercy and grace. What was it about Jesus that made him so attractive is that he, he lived in obedience to the Father moment by moment, which meant he was just like God. And, and his life displayed not condemnation, not judgment, not all the things that many of us say it, it, uh, do to, to other Christians and believers, but instead it was love and acceptance and grace and I will, in mercy, and I will help you and, and you will live a great life and I'm gonna give you a blessed life. Just walk with me, obey me. They saw him, not, not us. And when people see us loving in that way, not because we were told by the preacher to do it, but because something has happened in our heart that has changed us and we desire to love that way. We can't help but love that way. And we're being progressively sanctified by the Holy Spirit as we do more and more, uh, live more and more obedience to what God says. And we see who God is and it changes us on the inside and ultimately makes us want to be obedient to God. And then our lives start showing up in the world looking like Jesus. Jesus said, if you obey my commands, then you're truly my disciples and the world will know that you are mine. They'll know when they see that fruit. It's God exclusive. You can pretend, you can produce your own plastic love for a while, but it won't be consistent. You can produce your own kind of plastic power, but it won't be, it won't last. But God's, when we obey him, he does what only he can do. That's why I'm in Iceland today. God did this. God spoke, we obeyed, and we're here. And we have a whole lot more experience that we're about to have here in in Iceland because of God spoken. I can't wait to see what kind of fruit he's gonna produce. And you need to be a church that reveals the glory of God like your your motto verse says on your coffee cup. You need to, this, to, to be a church where the glory of God is revealed. But in order to do that, we gotta quit focusing on trying to be like everybody else and other churches and, uh, you know, and, and trying to follow models and programs because the programs work or the models produce. Yes, they do, but that's not being obedient only to the spirit of God. We want to do what the spirit says. Does the spirit ever use programs? Certain. But don't find yourself depending on other people's productivity and trying to look like them. We want the glory of God to be seen. So let's be a church that, that abides in Christ, that, is, that pursues his will so we can obey him so that when we obey, we know God exclusive activity is gonna happen. But ultimately, the ultimate fruit is the second kind of fruit. It's in John chapter 14. Again, same passage, Jesus defines what the fruit is. The ultimate fruit is this. For us as the church and for the world around us, this is the fruit. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, 
he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him. And here's the key and manifest myself to him. Manifest my person to him. The Old Testament would be manifest my name or my glory to him. The glory of God that we talk about in Ephesians chapter three, that glory of God that we want the Holy Spirit to produce through us is, is God's character. It's his person. We get to know who he is when we obey what he says. Case in point, my wife and I were in seminary, poor as dirt. I mean, just because God was teaching us how to, that he was our provider. He wanted to show us that he could provide for us. And so we were determined to be obedient. He said, go to seminary. And he led us very specifically to leave a full-time church job and go to seminary full-time. My wife and I were both working on PhDs at the seminary at the same time with two kids. I don't recommend it unless God says do it. But when God spoke that into our lives, when he revealed that that was his will and we obeyed what he said, we had no clue what all he was gonna teach us. But here's one lesson, one act of obedience. I, I had a, the month of May, the first year that we were there, I had no work. I had no money coming in the whole month. But in the month of June, I was about to do two big youth camps in different places in the United States and was gonna make a decent paycheck to be able to pay our bills. So I go off to do the camps. I come back, I pay our bills. Now, all of us would say, thank, thank you, Lord. Good Christians say that. We say, praise God for, the, for his provision. But there was one envelope that I left at the bottom of the stack from the seminary. I thought, well, they're just advertising something or whatever. So I, I leave it there. And that night after we have a, our, our, some time catching up, I go to bed and I pick it up on the way to bed and open it up. What do they have going on? It's a letter from the seminary that says, if I don't pay my bill off in full by next Thursday, they will disenroll me from school and, uh, and we have to move out of campus housing. And my mind starts spinning. What can I do? What can I do? There's no way I can earn that much money in that shorter period of time. There is no possible way. And God knows this. And we've already, you know, God's already provided so much for us but now this is impossible. And so uh, I'm, I'm sitting there watching the ceiling fan spin and my mind's going crazy and I'm in panic mode. And my wife walks in and she said, what's the matter? And I said, read this. And we're both in panic mode and we're watching this ceiling fan spin and we're, we're in desperation. And I kept feeling in the back of my mind, like the spirit was telling me to pick up. I was going through the book called Experiencing God at the time by Henry Blackaby. And he, I felt like the Spirit was, was prompting me to pick the book up. I hadn't done anything in it for two weeks because I'd been on the road and I didn't take it with me. So I pick it up in the next phrase where I left off says this, when you come to a crisis of belief in your life, what you do next tells what you believe about God. And I, in that verse, that word caught me in panic caught my wife and I not doing what we said we believed. It was such a challenge to our faith. It was like, what we, I said, baby, what do you believe? <laughs> she said, I don't know. What do you believe? And so we talked it out. And what we agreed that we believed about God was this, that God could take care of that if we didn't tell anybody. Like we, God didn't need us to go find another job or something else to do. 
I, you know, I couldn't do it. And God brought us to that place of impossibility. We believed in the sovereignty of God, that God could have taken care of that need, that we were in a moment that God had created for us. And we both decided that what God was leading us to do was tell no one of our need and just wait. I had till next Thursday. This was Saturday. So I had four or five days. And so we waited. We prayed. We didn't pray long. Monday morning, my parents, who lived three hours away, showed up at my door, knocking on the door at five o'clock in the morning, which meant they left the house at two because they woke up and my dad was determined that God was leading him to give us some money that they had received through some random insurance something. I don't remember what it was, but I knew my parents didn't have money. And then whatever they had, they had already given us. He shows up at the door and he didn't say anything about it. What are y'all doing here? Oh, we're just driving, which is not also what's common for my dad. He wakes up, he gets mom, they get in the car and they drive. So we go to get coffee about an hour or so later. And dad says, hey, how much do you owe on your school bill? And I told him, he said, I'm paying it all. I was blown away. I thought, what do you mean you're paying it off? I didn't tell him. I, we didn't even mention anything about school because God said not to. We were obedient to what God said. And what do we, so, and then God, and then he pays it off. I was blown away. I said, dad, let me tell you the rest of the story. And he was blown away because both of us had been obedient to what God said. And we learned something through that experience because both of us obeyed what God said. God gave us that moment together and it was God exclusive activity. The money had come from nowhere and had been given to my dad. My dad drives over to give it to us. That's, that is as random as it could be. It's God exclusive. That's not something my dad can do. And it's not something that I would have done. I'm waiting and not telling anybody about my need. And God is working behind the scenes and he brings us together. So the fruit of our obedience was we, we got to see God exclusive activity, right? Our bill got paid off. Impossible. But more than that, the, the, the glory of God was revealed. The character of God. There was a, an aspect of the character of God that I learned about in my head a long time ago. I had verses memorized like Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and, and all these needs to be taken care of. You know, I'm in seminary. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. You know, so all my needs are gonna be taken care of. I knew that in my brain. Don't you know that verse, right? All of us know the verse, but it's like a man, it's like an atheist standing on a mountain talking about how high he climbed until I met the God of, of my provision in that moment. And I saw him provide. When I obeyed what God said and my faith was challenged and I did it anyway and we didn't trust anybody and we just said, God, it's you or, or it's nothing. And then that sounds like strong, very, a very strong Christian. It was the weakest commitment I ever made in my life. I mean, with fear and trembling and thinking there's nothing else I can do. So I'm going to do this and we obey. And God showed us this. He is our provider. He is our provider. Knew it in my head. Now I know it in my life, in my heart. I was changed by that. 
I was changed by that moment, had been changed by more moments, moment after moment after moment in my life when God daily almost leads me to some faith challenge, some something he wants me to obey that my my faith is too weak to obey, but I obey it because I've come to know that God is going to reveal himself to me and that's, um, that's addictive. So what about you? What about your life? You know, are, you, are you tired of producing plastic fruit? It's, it's tedious. It's tiresome. It wears us out. Are you tired of having to be told how you're supposed to act and trying to find some kind of motivation uh, around you to motivate you to walk with God? Or are you abiding in Christ? being obedient to all the things that he's telling you to do moment by moment, involving God in as many things as you can in your life, setting the table for God every day by going into your quiet time with a fresh spirit and a fresh body, (laughs) as fresh as you can be so that you can hear from God, not for the sake of getting some new theological knowledge or some doctrine understood more so you can explain it to somebody and talk about it, but so you can get something you need to do to produce the fruit. Something that you can do so that you can come to know the character and see for the first time who God is in some arena of your life where you've never been obedient. That's what God wants to do. That's what he wants to do for you. It's my prayer for you that you will take the challenge today and that you will walk in this challenge to just pursue the Lord with everything you have. And ultimately, you'll come to know the Lord in such a way that this cycle What you discover about God will lead you again to start seeking the will of God, pursuing the will of God in your life. I have a lot more I want to say, but it's in the book. (laughs) So read the book. I'm available to you. I would love nothing more than to have a call from you on the internet, so it's free. And to to sit on my cooking in the couch in my coffee shop, because I have lots of time to do this. It's my calling. It's my life. I want people to know God by experience. That's why I'm here. There's no, there's no pretense here. We're not, I'm nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. I just want you guys to know the God that I know. I want you to know him in the way that I just described. And as you try to flesh that out, you want to know how to do it. I've been doing it for a while. And I've got some other things I can send you to help you to do it better, to learn. Learn this process. I know your pastors, elders are committed to that, to, to walking this out in their own lives. And they're, they're here for you. They have stories to tell. And my, my prayer is this church will truly be a church that reveals glory, the glory of God. To him be the glory in the church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for this word in John's gospel about abiding. I'm so thankful that, Father, you have transformed my life by this simple truth and that you took my eyes off the mountain and that you helped me to begin to know the God of the mountain as you sanctify my life. Father, I'm so thankful that 
that Jesus promised us as he gave this parable to his disciples that he promised us that as you loved him, so he loved us. And he's invited us to abide in his love and that if we would keep his commandments, that we would abide in his love. And just as, as he kept your commandments and was abiding in your love. Father, I'm thankful that, that we can know that from what Jesus said to the disciples, that he spoke these things to them so that you could take joy in them and their joy would be made complete. And that's what I want for these people, God. That's what you want, I know. It's what I want for this church. It's what I want for this nation. Father, that people would wake up and quit missing the point and would begin to abide in you that they might produce much fruit. Father, fill this place with the fruit of peace and contentment and joy and the knowledge of you that continues to press us to pursue. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.